the last 10 or 12 years, we've maintained a customer service rating of about 97% favorable. And that's something I'm really proud of, that our, that our facility meets their expectations and clients have found, you know, that, that they mostly return for the most part and that they're happy and that they're satisfied. And, and that's what kind of keeps me going, keeps me motivated. Welcome to Seaside 101. We're your hosts, Aiden. And Mary. This podcast is a collaboration between the City of Seaside and Seaside High School. In this series, we're interviewing Seaside City officials to learn more about what goes on behind the scenes. The goal being to educate the public and inspire people to get involved in their communities. Today, we are interviewing Russ Vandenberg, who is our Convention Center Manager. All right, so... The Convention Center and Visitors Bureau, what, what is that department in charge of? Yeah, so this department manages and operates both departments, the Convention Center, um, obviously uh, managing the events, managing the finances, managing the personnel, managing the contracts, the budgets, things of that nature, the employees, hiring, uh, disciplining, recruiting. Basically, that's the responsibilities for both departments. Well, the Visitors Bureau is in charge of marketing and advertising, tourism-based, um, where the Convention Center is more business tourism-related. And then what is your role in that department? So I'm the general manager. I am held responsible for the um, results of the of the facilities, of the budgeting, the the uh, planning for capital improvements. Responsible for obviously, like I mentioned before, the hiring of the staff, the signing all the contracts, meeting with event organizers, uh, bringing them in to the facility for possible rental of the, of the facility, working with all the different aspects of the facility like operations, planning, uh, sales, event coordination. I mean, working with those departments, giving them guidance, giving them assistance when needed right uh so a little bit more about you uh what's your background and education yeah so i started in this industry 40 years ago and i stumbled upon it to be honest with you i was um, about 25 years old looking for a career position and i <clears throat> found a position at a convention center in riverside california and i hired with the general manager and, and he hired me without any experience, which was rare. And I was working uh, in operations. And then I, from there, I expanded my career and I moved to Irvine, California and worked at a, on an on-campus sports arena for the University of California at Irvine. And I ran that building for about 17 years. And then I went to work in San Diego at the convention center when they opened up their new facility. And, and 
Unfortunately, I didn't stay there <clears throat> very long just due to the fact it was a 1 million square foot facility <clears throat> and it was hard to really become comfortable in those in that surrounding. It, it just it was like a big city almost. And I mean, literally it took you 20, 30 minutes to walk from one end of the building to the other. I was in charge of about 300 employees. And the only way I really could un remember everybody was to look at their name tags. And that really wasn't what I was looking for. I wanted something a little smaller uh, where you get to know the people and, and, and you can make positive change in, in, that, in that facility. So that, that was my career path before coming to Seaside in 2005. And I also uh, have a, a bachelor's degree in management <clears throat> from St. Mary's College of California. And what inspired you to pursue the career? Yeah, well, again, <clears throat> it wasn't necessarily it wasn't necessarily something that I pursued. It was something that just kind of landed. I was looking for something at the time. I was 25 years old, and I, I didn't have any real training at that point. I didn't have a degree at that time either. I got my degree a little later in life. Once I knew what I was looking to pursue, I didn't have a childhood dream of being a convention center manager. It, again, it was just something that landed. I enjoyed it, and I embraced it, <clears throat> and that's what brought me what advice would you give to someone looking to pursue a career similar to yours? Yeah, I would tell them, make sure you love it. Again, if you don't love it, get out. You won't survive it. And I tell staff when I hire them, I mean, you're either going to love it or you're not. And if you don't, you're probably in the wrong industry. And I found that passion for me. I found the work in live events was very uh uh, adrenaline rush, you know, if you will. And for me, it, it became a passion that I, that I just love. And to this day, I'm still here because of that passion. I mean, again, you sacrifice a little bit being in this profession. The fact that a lot of groups meet on the weekends, they meet in the evenings, and it does take time away from your family. It takes some of those special days that you'd normally be with your, your spouse or your, your children and it, it's a sacrifice to some extent. Having children myself, you know, I've had to give up a few of those special events, but I've also made time. And maybe you don't want to be biased, but what, what's your favorite, over your time at the convention center, what's your favorite, like, event that's been hosted there? Yeah, well, I mean, I've been there almost 16 years, and I've seen hundreds and hundreds of, of event activities. I would think... The Jazz Festival was one of my favorite groups, although they're no longer holding events at the facility. It was just a high energy, people having fun, enjoying themselves, you know, dancing. That was one of my favorites. I also enjoy uh, the CPAC Ham Operators Convention. I mean, I there's not many that I don't enjoy, but... Of the two, you know, again, the, the CPAC, we bring in about 1,500 people, but it, it, they're spread out and they're not all in one built in one room at any given time. It's like a big trade show with um, just happy people. A lot of the faith-based organizations uh, are, are very um, pleasant to work with, but, all, you know, all, all the groups are enjoyable in my, like you said, not being biased.
Some context for our listeners outside of Seaside, the Seaside Jazz Festival is an annual festival featuring some of the most popular trad jazz and swing bands in the U.S. and Canada. And you know what's another interesting part of Seaside's music history? What's that? Seaside's rock and roll history. In the 60s, there was a music venue called the Pipo Club, and it was legendary in the Pacific Northwest. Even though we're a small town, there were some pretty big names making an appearance, such as Paul Revere and the Raiders, Gene Vincent, and of course, the Kingsmen. Do you have any events that you were really proud of? Maybe it was something huge that you managed to pull off really well or something that had a big impact on the community. You know, I've always been in favor of production-type events, live productions. So, I mean, Miss Oregon comes to mind. Uh, A lot of work goes into the lighting, the sound, the the stage preparation, and that's uh, always gratifying to see such a large event that, that takes place in a, in a venue that most people would not have, may not have guessed that the day prior we had a dinner for 600 people in that room. And then the next day we may have Miss Oregon in the facility. Uh, you know, I think overall my favorite activities would be live product, production type, type shows. What's something about your job that might surprise the general public? You know, I, I think it's the the amount of preparation that goes into a group uh, of, a, of large gatherings. I don't think people really understand <clears throat> how many months it takes to plan and organize a large function. There's meetings that take place between the event organizers and the facility to make sure it fits their requirements of space, and, and they provide it, its you know, it's the right location. It, it has enough hotel rooms uh, nearby. And then the planning process begins. Well, the contract process, there's a lot of negotiations within the contract until that's finalized and signed. And then the, the, the time it takes to organize a group, it, it probably takes two to three months of planning to get speakers, to get um, all the, 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 the timing, the registration. And I don't think, and then the food prep, getting the, the, all the food organized and prepared. So I, I, I mean, it may not surprise people, on, but I think some people come to a, an event center and, and they just expect it to be ready. And of course it is, but I don't think they really understand how much time it takes to plan each, each, each individual group. And we do about 110 groups per year. They average a little over two days, about 2.5 days per group. So we have about 250 event days on average. And when you think about some months, you know, we'll do 10 different events in a month. And our calendar would be, you know, 20, 25, 30 days of activities going on. And each one of those were individualized. And each one of those, you know, took that amount of time behind the scenes. So I think that's probably something that most people might be surprised about. And is that when you're doing a production like that, is it mostly your input because obviously obviously the organizer has a vision for what they want but is it mostly you guys or or them doing that them doing that we assist them we provide the equipment necessary for it but it's their vision ultimately before the contract gets signed a lot of times all everybody looks at that application and makes sure we're setting them up for success that it's not something that we cannot provide the right equipment for them so we, we say that we always set people up for success. So, for instance, we would not bring somebody in on a Hood to Coast weekend. It would be a disaster. 
number one, there wouldn't be any parking, there wouldn't be any hotels. And if they did find hotels, they'd be, you know, five or $600 a night. And a lot of our groups are not able to, to handle that type of expense. It's a matter of, is our facility big enough? Is it adequately um, uh, equipment to satisfy that their needs? Do we have enough time between the events to set the room up, get the facility clean and, and staffed? Then at the end of the event, it's um, it's a summary of what went what, what what happened, and then calculating the charges that were associated with the event, and then our office manager prepares an invoice for billing, and it goes out. Then we ask for a review of the facility after they're finished, and over the last ten or twelve years, we've maintained a customer service rating of about ninety-seven percent favorable. And that's something I'm really proud of, that our, that our facility meets their expectations and clients have found, you know, that, that they mostly return for the most part and that they're happy and that they're satisfied. And, and that's what kind of keeps me going, keeps me motivated. So that sounds kind of difficult to like manage all, all those different things. What are some challenges you encounter in your position? Uh, the challenges would be making the facility current and making it accessible, making it safe, keeping the the employees motivated, making sure that they have the tools that they need, which is changing all the time as far as technology is concerned, making sure they have the most updated software, um, keeping up with the Wi-Fi requirements of today. When we first installed our Wi-Fi like 10 years ago, we probably were looking at about 200 devices on any given day that we were um, connected to our system. And today, on average, even for a group of between three and 500, we're seeing it peak at about 12 to 1,500 devices. So the average number of devices is, is increased over time, which means we have to upgrade our infrastructure. We've went with a high-speed fiber optic installation, which has been really, really good. So it's keeping up with the with our competitors, making sure we have um, space, uh, and, and again, giving them the tools that, that they need to hold a successful event. But I think those are the biggest challenges. So speaking of like adapting to changes, you guys recently, semi-recently, got a, a new building for the convention center. Right. Um, what would you say the most beneficial change has been in the new building? Yeah, well, we took a 50-year-old facility and turned it into a modern uh, contemporary uh, facility. And again, it was, it was because of the demand of our groups. We had to expand to accommodate the additional size of the groups. Over time, they grow due to, due to population growth. Uh, organizations um, we've seen substantial over the last 10 to 20 years and a lot of the groups such as the bridge tournament the student councils which seaside i believe is participates in that we've seen those numbers continuing to rise and we were notified that if we weren't looking to increase they would most likely have to move these groups over to a larger facility such as um, the Oregon Convention Center or the River House um, in Bend. And also the 
keeping the facility modern was another important factor in that. So we invested $15 million and renovated 100% of the facility and added about 9,000 square feet of additional space. So the average size group now, which used to be, we could accommodate about 300 safely, or not say, but you know, uh, properly, we can now bring groups in of about 500 and make the, have enough interior space for them to be comfortable and um, spread out and have plenty of breakout rooms. So the motivation was to keep the base that we have, the client base, as well as give groups an opportunity to expand. And that kept our base and to increase market penetration, which typically we were at about 20%. We were able to accommodate all the groups that meet within the state of Oregon. And by increasing the size of the facility, we're able to penetrate about 35%. So it increased the amount of opportunity that we have now to go after groups that we're never able to do before. And that's where I was mentioning between three to 500. Now we're, we've almost doubled our market penetration. So it gives us more opportunities to, to bring additional events into the building. When you're keeping up with competitors, is there something specific that you market that make the convention center stand out? So, you know, ultimately, it, it, it's keeping the facility um, contemporary. That's, that's the trend right now. People like bright colors. They like, you know, space to socialize. And this new facility that we now have, um, we've, we've looked at those specific areas and we've put uh, chairs throughout the facility, little tables for people to sit at, uh, little couches, things we've never had before. We have uh, connectivity for, for cell phone chargers throughout the building. I mean, we look at other facilities. We tour competing facilities, and we constantly look at their websites and see what options that they have. We have a 360 virtual tour on our facility that a lot of of our competitors do not have, where you can go in and physically walk around the facility using your iPhone or, or your computer and seeing every room, um, just like virtual tour. I mean, it's really cool. And that's something our competitors don't have. So, I mean, we want the, the, we want the organizers to come down, but if they're unfortunately not able to do that because of weather or because of, of other limitations, they can literally see the facility in, in you know in virtual ways that that helps us market our facility and that in itself took time and it took expense and technology to be able to land that on the platform next is our on the street segment where we've sent out our fbla members into the city to gather questions from the public here's one directed to russ vandenberg hi i'm chris i know we're in a pandemic right now but I know you have to coordinate reservations for months or even years in the future. How does that future look right now as far as tourism and specifically interest in convention center bookings? Yeah, we are very fortunate to be located in one of the most highly desirable locations in Oregon. The convention center is currently accepting reservations through 2031 
and interest has been strong, especially now that we have been expanded and fully renovated. Meeting planners are looking beyond this pandemic and preparing for future events well into the future. I am very optimistic that conventions will return to pre-pandemic levels and exceed all expectations. What's your vision uh, going forward for your department? So my vision is to, you know, I want to be as transparent as possible. I, I want to be known as a facility that has um, a facility that, that is properly maintained. Um, the vision is to manage the facility in the best way that helps the economy of our, of our city. That brings people in on the shoulder seasons, so the, the hotels can 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 stay relatively full. The restaurants can be uh, keep their staff working in in the winter months, and keep the town vibrant. Our venue generates about thirty million annually for economic impact, and that's the amount of money that's spent from our delegates that come in, with, which is about one hundred thousand, one hundred twenty-five thousand people per year. So, you know, my vision is to keep the facility operating and keep it as full as possible. And, you know, given the parameters that, that we have to work with. Uh, so we don't have to talk about COVID too much, but uh, do you feel that your department has done a good job handling that? We've done an excellent job handling it. Yeah, we've maintained all of the requirements from CDC. We've accommodated every... Uh, governor, you know, everything that the governor has requested. We've done our research. We've got the supplies. We've bought the signage. Uh, we've done everything that, that a venue would be asked to do. And, and I, you know, I think we've done it very well. Hand sanitizing stations and electrostatic sprayers. You know, we have the ability to clean our facility in a very short amount of time with a sprayer like they use in hospitals and, and airports and airlines. So it's a backpack piece of equipment that goes around and, and disinfects large areas. So yeah, we, we've done quite a bit in that area. Do you have any recent inspiration? I've grown up basically in this industry throughout, throughout my career. And the one book that, that I read that really inspired me was The Good to Great by Jim Collins. And that has taken a, a, a mediocre corporation or, or event and making it great. And that's by looking at all the specific requirements that's necessary, the, the resources that you have, the equipment, the, the, the staffing, and making sure everybody's working in the correct field, the, the correct departments, giving them the training they need, giving them the equipment that they, that they use. My saying is to give people the tools they need to do their job and let them do their job. Stand back and let them be successful. People don't need somebody looking over their shoulders every five minutes, and it just makes them nervous, and it's high anxiety. So I've been an advocate of making sure people have the right, even the, the correct uh, chair that they set in, the computers that they use, you know, the keyboards, is it, make, is it making sure that it's comfortable for them to use that and giving them the best possible tools. And like I said, You'd be surprised at how well people can do their job when, when, they, when, they, when given the opportunity. And what are some resources that have helped you along the way? Yeah, so I belong to an organization called IAVM, 
It's International Association of Venue Managers. It's a worldwide organization of about 6,000 members that, that manage facilities, public facilities that house gathering, large gatherings like football stadiums, baseball stadiums, arenas, performing arts centers, convention centers, venues like that. It's a variety. So the resources that they offer is training, is uh, uh, best practices. They have uh, on all different facets of the, of, the, of the venue industry, safety and security. I've been part of IAVM for about 20, maybe 25 years, and I've had a chance to attend their annual conferences, which is good to visit other large facilities because you kind of compare. But you also build a network of, of people that work in the venue, and then you have an opportunity to reach out to them if you have a question or a challenge. Um, in your own venue, but I've been involved in several committees from membership to I've attended uh, training and venue management from um, a school called Ogilvy. I've also attended a three-year course at Cornell University for um, Senior Executive Symposium is, is the name for it. And not only was I a student, but I also served on the board of directors for about eight years after that and helping set the curriculum and work with the students, work with the faculty and help prepare people that are, are looking to attend that. But again, it, it's an added training that, that's available to people in this industry made by IAVM. So, I mean, my resource that I would that I would cherish would be my, my association with them. That finishes off today's episode. Thank you to Russ Vandenberg for coming in and taking the time to talk to us. If you want to learn more about how things are run or want to get involved in your community, feel free to check out www.cityofseaside.us to stay updated with the latest of what's happening in Seaside, Oregon. Production and editing were done by Aidan Usley and Mary Roberto. Our music was produced by Tyler Froberg. This project was coordinated with the help of John Rail and Mike Verholst. Once again, we're your hosts, Aiden. And Mary. Signing off until the next episode of Seaside 101.